Hello, welcome to the reading of the Sioux City Journal for Thursday, February 23rd. I'm your reader, Dagna. We'll begin today with the five-day forecast. Today, we'll have strong winds subsiding and it will be colder with a high of 16 and a low this evening of minus 5. Friday will still be cloudy and cold with a, a little snow with a high of 14 and a low of 7. Saturday will be partly sunny and not quite as cold as going to high of 41 and a low of 15. Sunday will be clouding up and the possible showers in the afternoon with a high of 44 and a low of 36. And then Monday there will be strong winds with a high of 40 and a low of 25. We'll now move to the front page and our first story is Siouxland Christian speech students earn top honors at state. When the judge got up from her seat and hugged all 12 members of Siouxland Christian's choral reading group Saturday, Marcus Ketchlow thought another Critics' Choice Award might be in store for the school that's made it a habit of winning them. She was very excited. I felt good about our chances after that, said Ketchelow, the lone senior in the group that did indeed win the Critics' Choice Award at the Iowa High School Speech Association's large group All-State Festival. Like many speech groups before them, the students returned to Sioux City with a large banner to display at their school until next year's festival. It is such a great experience to be part of this team, said Ketchelow, who was a member of last year's one-act performance that received the Critics' Choice Award, which is given by judges to one school in each of the 11 categories at the annual festival, held at the Iowa State University campus in Ames. It is similar to winning a state championship in sports. Except in speech, schools aren't divided by size into different classes. It's one of the few activities in which small schools compete against the largest ones. Saturday marked the seventh Critics' Choice Award Siouxland Christian Speech Coach Emily Hageman's students have won in the past five festivals. There was no festival in 2021 because of COVID and the second time the school received the honor in choral reading. Despite being one of the smallest schools competing, Siouxland Christian holds its own each year. That's what makes this so rewarding, Hageman said. Siouxland Christian groups performed Saturday in three other categories, wrapping up a year in which all of the school's groups qualified for All-State and all 22 students out for speech performed at the festival, a unique achievement. To see it come to fruition was very fulfilling and very affirming for myself and for the students as well, said Hageman, who's in her 10th year leading the speech program. Going into the festival, Hageman believed each of the school's groups was capable of bringing home the Critics' Choice honor, but there's always the unknown of how a judge is going to react to a piece. You never know. We go in and tell stories to the best of our abilities and leave it in the hands of the critics, said Hageman, who in addition to leading the school's speech program is head of performing arts, teaching choir, band, and theater. This year, the group to best strike a chord with a judge was in choral reading, a group recitation of a script that may or may not include music. Siouxland's Christian's 15-minute piece, titled A Bridge Too Far for Maggie Higgins, was based on the real-life experiences of Higgins, an American war correspondent during the Korean War. Written by Hageman, the piece tells of the resistance Higgins often encountered from soldiers who did not believe female journalists belonged on the front lines, even though her bravery was equal to anyone. 
Catching lulls liked the story immediately when practices began in September, but knew mastering the movements and emotions that went with it would take a lot of work. I thought it was a very cool story, but also very challenging, he said. One advantage with large group speech, though, is having cast members to help one another through those challenges. The nice thing about choral reading is the emotion is spread among everyone, Ketchelo said. Obviously, they mastered the emotions through months of practice, impressing the judge with the story. But the more important connection Hegman always emphasizes to her students is one formed with audience members. A performance that touches someone sitting in the back row is more important than any award. Whenever you get a platform to say something, that can't be taken lightly, Hageman said. I know one of the most important things a person can learn is how to use their voice to communicate with people. Judging by how they do each year at the All-State Speech Festival, it's a lesson whose students have learned well. Lawmakers move bills to restrict traffic cameras. Cities and counties would lose authority to set up traffic cameras and collect revenue under a pair of bills Iowa lawmakers advanced on Wednesday. One bill would require local governments to receive approval from the State Department of Transportation before placing a traffic camera on an interstate or state highway. Local governments could only put traffic cameras in high-crash or high-risk locations and would have to exhaust all other traffic enforcement options before installing them. The proposal, House Study Bill 161, mirrors regulations set by the DOT before they were struck down by the Iowa Supreme Court in 2018, which found the department could not regulate city traffic cameras. There have been several attempts since then to rein in the use of the devices, which some lawmakers see as an infringement of privacy and argue cities are abusing the systems to bring in revenue. We do believe some kind of statewide regulatory framework is necessary, said Representative Phil Thompson of Boone, who chairs the Public Safety Committee. This is essentially just codifying what the DOT tried to do in 2018. The bill passed the subcommittee with only Republican support. Cities and counties also would be required to submit a yearly report to the Iowa DOT on the effectiveness of the cameras, which the DOT would use to determine whether to keep them in place. Representatives for cities and law enforcement agencies argued the bill would remove the control cities have to regulate traffic. There are at least 10 cities that use enforcement cameras. Three cities, Leclerc, Cedar Rapids and Des Moines have cameras on interstate highways. If the legislature is looking to provide a regulatory framework, I think we can work toward that, but adding state government into this would be difficult, David Adelman, a lobbyist for the Metropolitan Coalition, told lawmakers. The Metropolitan Coalition represents Iowa's 10 largest cities. Lobbyists also said the cameras reduce crashes and keep police out of high-risk areas. Doug Struick, a lobbyist for the city of Des Moines, said the traffic camera on Interstate 235 keeps police from pulling drivers over in a dangerous area of the road. There's no place to be, and you're going to end up injuring and killing officers, and you're going to injure the public by trying to pull people over and enforce traffic there, he said. Another bill, House File 313, would direct the revenues gathered from traffic traffic cameras to the state road use tax fund, a fund that pays for state and local road improvements. Vehicle registration fees and fuel taxes are currently directed to the fund. Cities again opposed the bill, saying it would take away significant money that cities use to fund police positions and ease property taxes. 
What this bill is doing is removing dollars that have gone to public safety, to police, to EMS, to fire, and removing those dollars from local law enforcement, Edelman said. Larry Murphy, a lobbyist for the Iowa Police Chiefs Association, said the city of Cedar Rapids uses its traffic camera revenues to fund 11 police positions, which would lose that funding source if the state redirects the money. The bill passed the subcommittee with only Republican support. Lawmakers advanced a bill earlier this month that would restrict cities to placing traffic cameras on city roads, counties on county roads, and allow the DOT to place traffic cameras on state roads. The bill would need to advance through a committee before next Friday, the first funnel date, to remain viable, and Thompson said he isn't ruling any of them out. I'm going to give all these bills a subcommittee hearing and try to gather as much feedback and try to put together some kind of framework, Thompson said. At Sioux City Morningside Stop, U.S. Representative Randy Feenstra talks China, eminent domain, and the 2023 Farm Bill. More than halfway into an hour-long visit with students and faculty at Morningside University's Rosen Ag Center, U.S. Representative Randy Feenstra tried to drive home the connection between the stop and the work he's presently focused on in Congress as a member of the Agriculture Committee. I want to know from you what we need in the Farm Bill, Feenstra, Republican from Hull, told those gathered in the greenhouse complex. This is where it starts. The proposed 2023 legislation, which involves everything from conservation to trade to energy, was just one of a number of subjects the second-term congressman broached on Wednesday as part of a self-branded agriculture tour. Feenstra also found time to talk China, eminent domain, SNAP benefits, and recent railroad accidents. With China, Feenstra, a former head of sales for the foreign candy candy company, said the U.S. trade balance with the country is significantly out of whack. China is still buying product, Feenstra said. They're just not buying it from us. According to the U.S. Bureau of Industry and Security, in 2021, U.S. exports to China were $151.1 billion, while imports from the Asian nation were $506.4 billion. Feenstra asserted that the administration of Joe Biden hasn't taken enough of a lead on the issue of trade, so individual states are working to find more balanced deals abroad. Later, while fielding a question from Siouxland Chamber of Commerce President Chris McGowan, Feenstra told attendees there should be much closer attention paid to other countries buying up land in the United States. Iowa congressional delegates, including Feenstra, have co-sponsored a bill led by Republican Representatives Elise Stefanek from New York and Rick Crawford of Arkansas to increase oversight of land acquisitions and require the Secretary of Agriculture to publicly disclose all new and existing Agriculture Foreign Investment Disclosure Act reports online. After Feenstra was shown the aquaponics systems and the production Morningside has going in the greenhouse, he was asked by the Journal about the pair of proposals in the Iowa legislature regarding the use of eminent domain by private companies to construct carbon capture pipelines. One plan, advanced by Senator Jeff Taylor, Republican from Sioux Center, would outright ban the use of eminent domain entirely for such work. The other, House File 368, which advanced out of subcommittee with only Republican support, would require CO2 pipeline companies to obtain 90% of the miles along their path through voluntary easements before being granted eminent domain powers. There's got to be a negotiation between the private landowner and the private company, and they have to make it work, Feinstein said. 
I am not a believer in eminent domain, again, because it's private land. A private landowner should have the opportunity to decide what they want to use that land for. When asked a separate question from McGowan about SNAP benefits and current issues filling jobs in Siouxland and beyond, Feenster said he wanted to see a food assistance program that wasn't just giving people a paycheck, but getting them out of poverty. We are desperate for workers in the agriculture arena, Feenster said. Per the USDA's Food and Nutrition Service website, SNAP has set two sets of work requirements. If you are age 16 to 59 and able to work, you will probably need to meet the general work requirements to get SNAP benefits. In practice, this means someone who is capable of working has to register for work, participate in SNAP employment and training, take a suitable job if offered one, and not quit said job or reduce work hours without legitimate cause. Persons excluded from such requirements include those below a certain poverty level who are already working 30 plus hours, taking care of a child or incapacitated person, unable to work because of physical limitations, participating in treatment programs, or studying in school or taking training programs. Outlets such as NPR's Marketplace have noted, during Farm Bill talks, Republican lawmakers have balked at the size of the program, which presently includes about 41 million recipients. And then uh, uh, on another topic, railroads. In May 2021, Sibley, Iowa was evacuated after a train derailed and caught fire in the town of 2,841. Feenstra mentioned the episode while talking about the more recent incident of a crash in East Palestine, Ohio, that sent vinyl chloride and other chemicals into the air and water. This is a grave concern. We have to have the infrastructure where rail is safe, Feenstra said, and can be devastating when it's not. Feenster went on to say Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg has to do a better job at answering to questions of safety and explaining how federal infrastructure funding is being used to prevent future infrastructure disasters from happening. After fielding questions, comments, and concerns at such events, Feenster said he likes to report back to D.C. what he's hearing in the heartland. Sometimes the Midwest, the breadbasket of the world, does not get talked about a lot. That's my job when I go to Congress to say, hey, look what we have to offer. And now a story about the weather. Wintry mix of snow, sleet, and freezing rain forces mass cancellations in Siouxland. Waves of schools, sports teams, and local governments had to make adjustments or outright cancel planned events during the daylight hours of Wednesday, even though the worst of a winter storm had yet to hit parts of Siouxland. Just after 9 a.m. Wednesday, the Sioux City Community School District announced it would be dismissing two hours early and closing downtown offices at 1.30 due to the weather. Woodbury Central in Moville chose 12.30 as its dismissal time. Farther north, public school districts in Sheldon and Orange City opted to not have school at all because forecasts were calling for as many as 9 inches of total precipitation in their area. Before 11 a.m., the city of South Sioux City declared a snow emergency and the school district opted for a noon dismissal. There will be no beyond-the-bill services, no afternoon activities or practices today, unless otherwise indicated, the district said on Facebook. Due to the wintry mix of snow, sleet, and freezing rain making its way through the tri-state area, all evening high school sporting events were postponed. 
According to Peter Rogers, a meteorologist at the National Weather Service Sioux Falls office, forecasts called for the greatest amount of precipitation to come between midnight and 6 a.m., with totals generally being higher on the South Dakota side than in the Iowa side of Iowa t- Highway 20. In Beersford, South Dakota, there was a possibility of 8-plus inches. The heaviest snowfall is off to the north, Rogers said. In Sioux City, the NWS website projected snow likely, possibly mixed with freezing rain before 5 p.m., then a chance of snow and sleet, followed by a chance of snow and sleet before 8 p.m., then snow. Rogers said what parts of Siouxland got what kind of precipitation was particularly dependent on temperature, not just at the surface, but what's happening aloft, he said. Overall, the National Weather Service expected about 4 to 5 inches of snow and sleet accumulation for the Sioux City metro area. Now we have some news briefs. Authorities investigating body found in Spencer. State and local authorities are investigating the discovery of a body Monday in Spencer. The Clay County Communications Center received a call at 11.49 a.m. of an unresponsive male found outside 217 West 5th Street. Upon arrival, Spencer police and medical responders determined the 29-year-old man was dead. The man's name is being withheld pending further investigation by the Spencer Police Department and the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation. An autopsy was planned at the Iowa State Medical Examiner's Office. Man wanted for domestic abuse arrested. A Sioux City man with three outstanding arrest warrants for domestic abuse was arrested early Wednesday on suspicion of assaulting the alleged victim for at least a fourth time. Sioux City police were dispatched to an apartment in the 1000 block of 4th Street at 2.55 a.m. for a report of a disturbance. Upon arrival, officers met with a woman who said Dustin Fiegenbush had strangled her in her apartment, causing her to lose consciousness. According to court documents, officers observed markings on the woman's face, ear, and neck consistent with strangulation and dried blood on her shirt and left ear. Officers had observed Fagenbush fleeing into a neighboring apartment when they arrived and forced their way inside. Fagenbush is accused of resisting officers, handcuffing and searching him, kicking one of them in the chest. Officers found five grams of marijuana and a used glass meth pipe in his backpack. Fagenbush, 42, was booked into the Woodbury County Jail on charges of domestic abuse assault, impending air, blood flow, causing bodily injury, assault on an officer, and possession of a controlled substance. Fagenbush had outstanding arrest warrants, all for third or subsequent offense domestic abuse assaults, stemming from incidents involving the same woman in August and October. Court documents show Fagenbush has previous domestic assault convictions in Woodbury and Monona counties. Woman dies after I-29 accident near Salix. A woman died of injury sustained in a rollover accident near mile marker 132 on Interstate 29 late Tuesday afternoon. At around 4 p.m. Tuesday, Woodbury County Sheriff's deputies responded to the accident. Preliminary investigations show the vehicle left the roadway on the west side of the southbound lane, rolled over ejection the female occupant. The female occupant, Ashley Bond, was transported to the hospital by helicopter. She was pronounced dead due to her injuries. A male occupant, Curtis Cotton, was not ejected and refused medical treatment.
The Iowa DOT, Iowa State Patrol, Mercy Wings, Woodbury County EOC, Salix EMS, and Sloan EMS offered assistance to the Woodbury County Sheriff's Office at the scene. The Woodbury County Sheriff's Office said the accident remains under investigation. We'll now move to the sports section, and their first story is Iowa Class 2A Boys Basketball. Central Lion, Western Christian, Sioux Central, West Lion enters sub-state finals. Three state-ranked Class 2A boys basketball teams in Northwest Iowa moved within a game of the state tournament Tuesday night. Top-ranked Central Lion outdistanced West Sioux 65-60 in a sub-state 8 semifinal in Orange City. The Lions will face Trainer in the sub-state final Saturday at Sioux City East High School. Number four, Sioux Central, raced past South Central Calhoun, 80-58, in a sub-state two semifinal in Storm Lake. The Rebels will meet Carol Cooper in the sub-state final Saturday at OABCIG High School in Ida Grove. Fifth-ranked Western Christian beat Esterville Lincoln Central 69-58 in a sub-state one semifinal in Sheldon. The Wolfpack will square off with West Lyon in the sub-state final Saturday at MLC Floyd Valley High School. West Lyon advanced with a 66-55 win over Emmitsburg at Okaboji High School Tuesday night. All sub-state final games will start at 7 p.m. Saturday, with the winners advancing to the Iowa High School Athletic Association State Tournament, which is March 6th through the 10th. South Sioux City girls win in two overtimes over Blair. Head to Scott's Bluff for district finals on Saturday. Bailey Durant scored 19 points and Brooklyn Heinemann added 18 as the South Sioux City girls outlasted Blair 74-68 in double overtime in the Nebraska Class B-5 sub-district finals Tuesday night. Both the Cardinals and the Bears advanced to the Nebraska Class B winner-take-all district finals Saturday. South Sioux City, the number 12 seed, will make the long trip to the Nebraska Panhandle Saturday to play at number 5 seed Scotts Bluff in the B-1 district finals. Blair took a 31-21 halftime lead, but the Cardinals rallied in the second half, outscoring the Bears 21-14 in the third quarter and 15-10 in the fourth stanza, sending the game into overtime. Isabella Moret added 11 points and 5 rebounds for the Cardinals, who have won 8 of their last 8 games. The 16 teams in the Class B District Finals are Tuesday's winners and 8 wildcard teams taken from the point standings, which determine the seeded pairs. The eight winners in Saturday's games will advance to the Nebraska Schools Activities Association's Girls State Tournament March 1st through the 4th in Lincoln. Healing Girls to face Cedar Rapids Xavier in first state tourney game, rematch of last year's Class 4A Finals. After a runner-up finish in the 2022 Iowa Girls State Basketball Tournament, Bishop Heelan started this season with two straight losses. I think just losing those two games right away was a little bit of a slap to us, said Kenley Mays, one of six seniors on the team. It really turned our season around. We were able to learn how to finish games and fight back when we were behind. Since the 0-2 start, the Crusaders have rattled off 22 straight wins, most recently Tuesday night's 42-22 victory over Spencer and the Iowa Class 4A Region's three finals. The Crusaders now get a chance to avenge their 54-40 loss to Cedar Rapids Xavier in last year's state title game. The number three seed in the eight-team Class 4A field, Heelan will face six-seeded Saints at 5 p.m. Tuesday in the quarterfinals of the Iowa Girls High School Athletic Union State Tournament. We like our chances going down back 
down there, healing coach Darren Kulstra said. We'll just see how it goes next week. Crusader junior guard Brooklyn Stanley said the team set a goal of returning to Wells Fargo Arena after losing in last season's championship game. We remember that feeling, Stanley said. We've been working really hard to get back there. We're still working toward that. Getting to the well is the first step. Xavier also handed Helan one of its two losses this year, 64-52 in the season opener in Cedar Rapids. The Crusaders then dropped their next game, 69-61, to rival Sioux City East. Coolstra said his players intensified their efforts following the loss to East. They got in the gym and they worked on their game, he said. They came to practice every day and they were focused. They want to get better. They listen and they take what they're taught. In Tuesday's regional final game, the Crusaders showcased their balanced scoring attack and stifling defense, which bottled up Spencer all night. We get after people, Kustra said. We take away shooters that normally shoot threes. The Crusaders shut down Spencer's top two scorers, senior Jada Piercy, who came into the game averaging 17 points per contest, and senior Jara Merchant, who entered with a 15.3 points per game average. Piercy and Merchant finished with just three points each. We could not put the ball in the basket when we needed to, Spencer head coach Matt Stevenson said. Defensively, when you hold a Helan team to 42 points, you've got to feel pretty good about that. But obviously, if you can't get over 22 points, you're going to be in trouble. Helan led from the start to finish Tuesday night, taking a commanding 16-4 lead after Mays hit a three-pointer at the buzz. The senior guard had a team-high seven points in the period. Crusaders' advantage continued to grow in the second quarter. Senior guard Lauren Peck's tray near the end of the stanza gave the Crusaders a 23-8 halftime lead. Spencer did not hit double digits in points until halfway through the third quarter, when Addison Hoban basket cut the margin to 30-10. Helan's lead grew to as many as 26 points early in the fourth quarter, following a breakaway layup by junior Maddie Demke. Coolstra began to empty his bench midway through the final period. As the final seconds ticked down, the Helan players raced onto their home court to celebrate. After accepting the IGHSAU state qualifier banner, they ran over to share their triumphal moment with the student section. Stanley, Helan's leading scorer with 14 points per game average, was held to 5 points Tuesday night, but her teammates more than picked up the slack. May scored a team-high 10 points, and Demke and Peck added 9 apiece. One player may not score very much, but someone else picks them up. We've got a lot of weapons, Kulstra said. Stevenson, a former Helan assistant coach, offered kudos to the Crusaders. I expect them to do very well at the state tournament, probably even with a state championship, he said. They're that good. Rems and St. Mary's, Lamar's Galen boys to play for state berth in rubber match of the season. The Rems and St. Mary's and the Lamar's Galen Catholic boys basketball teams will square off Saturday for the third time this season. In the rubber match between the two rivals, the winner will earn a trip to the Iowa High School Athletic Association State Tournament at stake. The War Eagle Conference foes advance to the Class 1A Substate 1 Finals with semifinal final victories Tuesday night. Number 7 ranked Remsen St. Mary's beat South O'Brien 68-51, while Galen outlasted Newell Fonda 79-77. Keaton Bonderson exploded for 40 points as the Galen senior also broke a 61-year-old school's records for most points in a season. Remsen St. Mary's won the first contest with Galen 62-50 on December 20th, but the Jays handed the Hawks their first loss of the season in the rematch in Remsen on January 10th.
The loss snapped the Hawks' 29-game regular season winning streak. Bonderson scored a game-high 24 points in the upset win. In Tuesday night's thriller over Newell Fonda in Cherokee, Bonderson became just the second J in school history to hit or exceed 40 points in a single game, according to KLEM Sports. Bonderson now has five 174 points for the season. In the third quarter, he broke the Galen record of 555 points set by Ron Wiltgen in the 61-62 season. The Jays also received double-figure scoring Tuesday night from three more players. Drake DeRocher added 14 points and Connor Kraft had 11. Newell Fonda Sr. and Carter Seavers, the state's leading scorer, tallied 32 points in his final game. Caden Meyer, added 24 points for the Mustangs, who qualified for last year's Class 1A state tournament. Newell Fonda ends the season 18-5. Sioux City East girls' season ends with regional finals loss to Johnston. Iowa State University recruit Eileen Tanke recorded a double-double with 20 points and 11 rebounds to lead Johnston past Sioux City East 79-51 in the regional finals Tuesday night. The Dragons move on to the Class 5A Iowa Girls High School Athletic Union's state tournament while the young Black Raiders end their season at 17-4. Johnston jumped out to a 21-8 lead at the end of the third quarter. East matched the Dragons' scoring in the second quarter as the halftime deficit stayed at 13 points. By the end of the third quarter, Johnston had stretched its lead to 17 points. The Dragons blew the contest open in the final stanza, outscoring East 29 Molly Nockleck added 13 points and Jessica Lewis had 12 for Johnston, which finished number 2 in the IGHSAU's final class 5A rankings. You are listening to the reading of the Sioux City Journal for Thursday, February 23rd on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. We'll now turn to today's obituaries. We begin with Leonard Gustav Oland. It is with deep sorrow and much love that we mourn the passing of Leonard Gustav Oland, 87, of Merrill, Wisconsin, formerly of Merrill, Iowa, on Wednesday, February 15th. Visitation will be held from 12 to 4 p.m. on Sunday at Wade Funeral Home in Merrill, Wisconsin. Services will be held at 4 p.m. on Sunday, also at the funeral home. Wade Funeral Home and Cremation Service of Merrill is assisting the family with arrangements. Len was born to Helmer and Greta Oland in Akron, Iowa on August 3, 1935. His family then moved to Merrill, Iowa, where he grew up. He excelled at sports and academics throughout his school years and also met his future wife. They graduated together in 1953. Len served in the Air Force with training at Bryan Air Force Base and Lackland Air Force Base, both in Texas, and Graham Air Base in Florida. He returned to Merrill, Iowa, and continued to work for the Air Guard. He married Helen in 1956, and they began their 66 years of dedication to each other. They welcomed their first five children in Iowa, then moved to Sacramento, California in 1963. There they embraced the births of their next six children before moving to Merrill, Wisconsin in 1971. They saved the best for last and completed their family here with three more children. They have been blessed with 41 grandchildren and 38 great-grandchildren. Len's family was the pride and joy of his life. He would say he may not have the most money, but he was the richest man because of his family. They have been blessed by the strong values he instilled in them. Even in the most challenging of times, his sense of humor never failed. The legacy of his wisdom, 
wit, ingenuity, and work ethic will live on forever. As an expression of sympathy, memorial donations may be made to St. Jude Children's Hospital or Disabled American Vets in Len's name or the charity of your choice. Brian Paul Cox, 76, of Sioux City, formerly of Tyconic, passed away Monday, February 20th at Whispering Creek Senior Living in Sioux City. Services will be held at 10 a.m. on Saturday at the Gosler Funeral Home Chapel, Ottawa, Iowa, with Darren C.E. Gosler officiating. A live stream of the service will be posted on the Gosler Funeral Home website. Burial will follow in the Little Sioux Township Cemetery in Smithland, with military honors provided by the United States Air Force. Visitation will be one hour prior to the service. Arrangements are under the direction of Gosler Funeral Home and Monuments, Ottawa. Brian Paul was born July 25, 1946, in Sioux City, the son of Paul and Ines Cox. He attended Maple Valley High School in Mapleton and graduated with the class of 1964. After graduation, Brian married Jeanette Strachan and soon after enlisted in the United States Air Force and was stationed in Bermuda from 1965 to 1969 where he, when he was honorably discharged. They had two daughters, Lisa Marie and Andrea Lynn, and then later divorced. On July 25, 1979, Brian married Cheryl Jans. Jansen in Elk Point, South Dakota. They lived in Sloan with daughter Shelley until moving to the farm in 1983. Brian was employed at IBP in Dakota City, DNL processors in Sioux City, and was an over-the-road trucker while farming with his dad and eventually took over the family farm in 1996. He enjoyed riding his motorcycles and was an avid gun collector. Edward Ernest Lamoureux, 86 of Salix passed away Monday, February 20th at a hospital in Sioux City. A funeral mass will be at 10.30 a.m. on Friday at St. Joseph Catholic Church in Salix. A live stream of the service will be posted on the Gosler Funeral Home website. Burial will follow at St. Joseph Catholic Cemetery in Salix. Visitation will be from 5 to 8 p.m. today with a scriptural wake service at 7 p.m. at the church. Arrangements are under the direction of Gosler Funeral Home and Monuments in Ottawa. Edward Ernest Lamoureux was born in Sloan on July 8, 1936 to Milford and Leona. He graduated from St. Joseph's School, Salix, in 1954. Edward married Dorothy Lassure at the St. Joseph Catholic Church, Salix, on June 27, 1956. He started working for the Iowa State Highway Commission as an engineering aide in the construction department on August 1, 1956, and later transferred to the materials department in 1965. Edward was promoted to supervisor in the materials department of the Iowa Department of Transportation in 1979. Edward joined the Salix Volunteer Fire Department on August 5, 1960. He was assistant chief for many years and taught first aid classes for the American Red Cross. He was the mayor of Salix from 1978 to 1981. Edward was a member of the Loyal Order of Moose, Eagles, and Knights of Columbus, who retired from the Iowa Department of Transportation on June 30, 1994. Ed loved to go golfing and fishing. He enjoyed 28 winters in Lake Havasu City, Arizona, where he had made many friends. Edward spent his summers watching the grandkids play sports. Catherine Gross Edelman, 
Sioux Falls, South Dakota, formerly of Little Rock, Iowa. 67 died Monday, February 20th. Services will be February 28th at 11 a.m. at the First Presbyterian Church in Little Rock. Burial will be sometime in the spring at the Pleasant View Cemetery, Little Rock. Visitation will be February 27th from 5 to 7 p.m. at the church. Arrangements with the Jurens Family Home in Sibley. Velma Jean Schwaderer, South Sioux City, 86, died Monday, February 20th. Services will be February 25th at 11, no, at 1 p.m. at Moran Becker Hunt Funeral Home. Visitation will be one hour prior to service time at the funeral home. And that concludes today's obituaries. We'll now move to the um, section that has the 2023 Siouxland Choice Awards um, are here. Um, so first we'll have an article about the awards and then we'll move into some stories about some of the winners. Wait, we don't have to check in with 538's Nate Silver or hear back from any of the political pundits at the Weekenders Election Desk. Nope, there is no need for any post-election recounts with the 2023 Siouxland Choice Awards. Sorry, Cyber Ninjas, your work here is done. Our readers have opinions and they're not shy about sharing them. Each year, The Weekender asks its readers to vote in a dizzying number of categories. This year, we received more than 16,000 nominees and more than 170,000 votes. In case you're keeping track at home, that re represents the largest number of votes we've ever received in the history of the Siouxland Choice Awards. More significantly, our little contest is designed to answer all of life's most important questions. For instance, we must know which building has the fanciest public restrooms and which business has the best CBD supply, right? Well, your nosy friends at the weekend are ready to spell the beans. Where can you get Siouxland's best tacos, trampoline, or tummy tuck? Check out the following pages and see if you agree with your fellow readers. All right, you have been very generous with your advice. Now I'll take some from the weekender. Sit back, prop up your feet, and get cozy. Here is the 2023 edition of the Siouxland's Choice Awards. Okay, so the first uh, one we're going to do an um, article, read an article on the Monterey Restaurant. On the wall of the Monterey Mexican Restaurant, 3130 Singing Hills location, is a plaque promoting its status as a 2021 Siouxland's Choice runner-up, as well as a plaque promoting its status as a 2022 Siouxland's Choice finalist. It will soon be joined by another plaque. You see, this year, the popular Mexican eatery has earned the top prize, beating out competitors like Navarretti's, a Sioux City mainstay for more than 40 years, and the Blue Tequila, a restaurant best known for its oversized margaritas. Monterey's victory was especially sweet for owner Salvador Leon, who owned Mexican restaurants in Altoona, Clive, and West Des Moines, as well as the Singing Hills location, and a newer 1754 Hamilton Boulevard locale. We want to thank our customers for their support, he said. We have seen so many businesses close their doors. For us, it is a great achievement to continue to be visited by diners. So, what are Monterey customers clamoring for? Authentic, made-to-order specialties like burritos, enchiladas, and quesadillas. Don't forget out-of-this-world fajitas like the fajita Vulcan, which is a veritable carnivore's delight, consisting of steak, 
chicken, shrimp, and mushrooms, all grilled and topped with a shredded cheese and a cheese dip. Combine it with rice, beans, lettuce, guacamole, sour cream, and tortilla on the side. The meal could feed a family of four or one hungry ombre. Leon thanked Monterey's customers for sending the eatery to the top. We continue doing the best we know how, trying to improve in our food and drink selections, he said. Even more than that, it is the diners who keep Monterey Mexican restaurant going year after year. We fight every day to meet the expectations of our customers, Leanne said. This time out, Monterey has secured a much-deserved victory. We are grateful to the entire community, Leanne said. Big Papa's Grub on the Go is on a roll with the Siouxland Choice Award. They call Kenny Crampton the food truck whisperer. It's because the proprietor of Big Papa's Grub on the Run has been dominating the Siouxland's Choice in the food truck category every year since 2021. This year is no different. Big Papa's menu of sandwiches, tacos, and grub balls, which are chicken tenders dusted in flour and doused in a flavorful sauce, beat out such popular mobile restaurants as Degas on the Wheels and Smash Burgers for the top spot. Which is why Crampton often fields calls from newcomers wanting to cash in on the food truck craze. I don't dissuade people from their dreams, but running a food truck is more of a lifestyle than it is a profession, he said. It takes commitment. That's true in the summertime when temps may climb into the triple digits inside Big Papa's Kitchen on Wheels. It is even the case when Crampton pulls into the filling station bar on a drizzly day in February. The filling station has both a pool league and a dart league going on, he said, standing under a tarp. This place will be hopping before too long. A native of Toledo, Ohio, Crampton began working in restaurants as a teenager. He eventually became the assistant to the personal chef for NBA legend LeBron James. Since moving to his city more than a decade ago, he began putting his imaginative spin on all-American comfort food at various sit-down eateries. Yet, he always wanted to be his own boss. I opened Big Papa's Grub on the Run right after Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds gave the okay for takeout businesses to resume service after COVID closed everything down, Crampton said. It was definitely the right time to have a food truck. Even so, he had the culinary chops to make the new business hum. While you can get a fine cheeseburger at Big Papa's, don't pass up the opportunity to order a Legion Legend, which is a stuffed burger with jalapeno bacon and cheese, a Bomber, which is a burger that comes with bacon cheese and a fried egg, as well as PB&J, or the High on the Hog Boar Burger, a hamburger patty, grilled ham and onion, Swiss cheese, and a fried egg on Texas toast. Bored with burgers? Then consider the Cleveland pork chop sandwich, which Crampton modeled after the many down-home eateries in the Ohio City. We are always adding new things on the menu to keep things fresh for our regulars, he said. Indeed, Big Papa's Grub on the Run does have plenty of regulars who will stop by the filling station at 1808 Lewis Boulevard or Lamar, Iowa, Wasmer American Legion Hall when they spot Crampton's truck. We're not venturing into new territory because we want to stay loyal to the people who've been loyal to us, he said. We're also loyal to the nonprofit organizations that we help out with fundraisers. Loyalty means a lot to Crampton. It is something he stresses when fielding calls from wannabe food truckers. You'll never work harder than you do on a food truck, he reasoned, but there is that satisfaction that comes when you get to serve great food to great customers. Our next story is about a photographer. 
It's hard to make a plate of prime rib or an open-faced sandwich look sexy, but Britton Hack has was giving it a go. The Sioux City-based photographer was shooting menu pictures at a Dakota City eatery that will be used by The Market Delivers. The Market Delivers is one of my clients, Hack said. I may not be the best food photographer in town, though these dishes do look pretty appetizing. Indeed, he is now able to snap photos for advertisers, graduating seniors, and nervous brides and their beaus. Hack is perhaps best known for being the unofficial nightlife photographer of Sioux City. Whether at concerts, events, or just surveying the scene, he's been a regular Johnny on the spot. One only needs to look at his website for confirmation. Breton Hack is someone you have probably seen around at events around town, his website reads. It seems like anywhere you go, you'll see him behind the lens of his camera. Perhaps due to his nature, Hack was selected as Siouxland's choice of Sioux Liberty, which may, makes him feel weird. I'm not a celebrity or even a Sioux Liberty, Hack says. I'm just a guy who likes taking pictures. He credited his love of photos to his mom, who was also a photographer. When I was growing up, my mom had a book that was full of photos by Annie Leibovitz, Hack said, referencing the famous portrait photographer best known for her Rolling Stone covers. Whenever I photograph a concert, my mind goes back to the work of Annie Leibovitz. Over the years, he has photographed photographed everyone from Brett Michaels, Flo Rida, and Wu-Tang Clang. So, who's on Hack's photographic dream list? The Rolling Stones, Nine Inch Nails, and the hip-hop duo of Run the Jewels. Alright, one final question. What is the worst thing of being Sue Land's choice Sue Liberty? Getting my picture taken, Hack the photographer said. I've never liked having my pictures taken. Our next story is Drink Master. Buffalo Wild Wings bartender proves she has plenty of mixology moxie. What was the first thing Veronica Johnson did after learning she was chosen Siouxland's choice for bartender? I went into the ladies room and screamed in excitement, she said. Then I told my manager, went back into the ladies room and screamed again. You cannot fault Johnson for her enthusiasm. A bartender at Buffalo Wild Wings for the past five years. She's known for her outgoing personality and some mad drink-making skills. I love making colorful cocktails, Johnson said, creating a ruby-red mezcarita, which replaces a margarita's traditional tequila with mezcal. This one goes really well with hot wings. Yet the classic cocktails really demonstrate her mixology moxie. People know what an old-fashioned should taste like, Johnson explained. You will have to hit the mark each and every time. However, her behind-the-bar acumen is only part of the reason for the Siouxland's choice victory. The cliché about bartenders having to be part buddy and part psychologist is true, Johnson, a Morningside University graduate admitted. People will tell you stuff in complete confidence, and I'm okay with that. In large, this is because the atmosphere at Buffalo Wild Wings is so chill. In large, um, we're simply a place where folks can hang out and have a good time, she said. Working most weeknights, Johnson gets her fair share of regulars. That is so much fun, she said. I've been waiting on some guests for so long that they've become my friends. Plus, Johnson also tends to the needs of newcomers who need extra care. I tell them that my favorite sauce for wings is the Asian Zing because it has the perfect blend of sweet and heat, she said. And what are Johnson's drink recommendations? It varies all the time, she said. Sometimes you want a beer, a soft drink, and a special occasion cocktail. As the after-work crowd began to build at the five 
1001 Sergeant Road, Buffalo Wild Wings. Johnson reflected for a moment. I have the perfect work-life balance, she said. I don't work on the weekends, which means I can go to as many sporting events as possible. But during the week, I get to be with my friends here at work. And those friends include the people both behind and in front of the bar. Being named Siouxland's Choice of Bartender is so crazy, Johnson said with a big smile. I want to thank everyone who voted for me. New stage players making theater accessible to all types of audiences. It might not look like it right now, but the new stage player stage will soon transform itself into the vacation home of Ethel and Norman Thayer, the alternatively loving and cantankerous couple from Ernest Thompson's On Golden Pond. Directed by Billy Decker and featuring a cast of six actors, the Tony Award-nominated play will be performed Friday through Sunday at the South Sioux City-based theater first stage production for the 2023 calendar year. Founded in 2016, new stage players are traditionally staged inside of a former elementary school building located at 3201 Dakota Avenue. Considered a newcomer in Sioux City's theatrical scene, New Stage Players was voted as Siouxland's choice for live theater, beating out both the Sioux City Community Theater, which is celebrating its 75th season, and Lamb Arts Regional Theater, which has been around for 43 seasons. I don't consider New Stage Players to be in competition with other theaters, Christy Tremaine, one of the New Stage Players founding members, explained. I think we're simply making theater accessible for, to different types of audiences. Certainly, one of the specific goals of the theatrical upstart was to get more people in northeast Nebraska involved in the performing arts. South Sioux City did not have its own theater group, and we felt there was a definite need for one on the Nebraska side of the Missouri River. Just as important was New Stage Players' involvement with the Penguin Project. The Penguin Project gives young people with de developmental disabilities or special needs the opportunity to develop creative and social skills while participating in a musical production, Tremaine said. Last spring, New Stage Players presented the Penguin Project production of Willy Wonka, featuring a cast of able-bodied as well as disabled actors. This year, Disney's 101 Dalmatians will be the Penguin Project's musical. Under the direction of Tremaine, the production, which will have actors with Down syndrome, autism, Asperger's, and other neurological, physical, and developmental disorder, will run June 9th through 11th. A disability should never prevent an actor from experiencing the joys of acting, Tremaine said. Neither should a language barrier. New Stage Players is also home to El Pro... Proyecto Dramatical, which is Siouxland's only bilingual theatrical company. Tom, Thomas and the Library Lady and the Singing Nana, two books by author Pat Mora, have been adapted for the theaters from the page to the stage series on April 28th and 29th. Also coming up is a summertime youth camp revolving around Disney's Moana Jr., which will take place from June 26th to July 22nd. In addition, New Stage Players is offering a series of summer day camps on various topics for kids 5 to 9. The day camps will let children experience performing, maybe for the very first time, New Stage Players' Deb Morgan said. It's, all, it's fun to introduce a new set of kiddos to the world of theater. It also set the stage, so to speak, for the local premiere of the SpongeBob musical. New Stage Players has the rights to the musical version of the popular Nickelodeon animated series. It will be performed July 28th to August 6th at the Briarcliff University Theater. Briarcliff wasn't using its stage, so they are allowing us to host the summer youth programming there, New Stage Players Board President Christine Wolf said. It's an awesome facility. 
which also follows the sentiment that Tremaine always had. We want to make theater accessible to as many people as possible, she said. TDF Tattoo and Piercing is Leaving a Mark on Siouxland. TDF Tattoo and Pearson was buzzing, literally, on a chilly Tuesday afternoon. All of Tracy Fanning's fellow tattoo artists were hard at work, inking images onto their clients while he was taking a breather before the arrival of his appointment. We stay pretty busy all around here, he said, inside of a back room at his 5408 Morningside Avenue shop. I like it that way. Another thing that Fanning liked is TDF securing a first place finish in Siouxland's choice for tattoo and piercing parlor, which is even more noteworthy since Fanning's shop has been open for less than a year, although he's been tattooing for more than a quarter of a century. When I was starting out, learning the trade meant looking at design books, watching what more experienced artists were doing, and practicing on friends and loved ones, he explained. Nowadays, a tattoo artist in Fanning's shop must go through an extensive apprenticeship that can take years to complete. Certainly, things are now more professional and businesslike, he maintained. Another innovation at TDF is the fact that outside of Fanning and piercer Steve Carlson, the other crew members, Jordan Poulos, Lily Michaels, and apprentice Kay Shorebritz are female. Tattooing used to be a guy thing, Fanning said. Guys got tattoos from other guys. Now things are evenly split. Indeed, some men prefer being tattooed by a woman. This is the case with Haston Michaels, who was being inked by his wife, Lily Michaels. I call Haston my human sketch pad because I always try out designs on his skin, Lily Michaels said with a smile. I don't think Haston likes that nickname, though. Maybe not, but there is gratification when someone trusts you enough to ink them with permanent art. That is something Fanning will never take for granted. An artist best known for realistic wildlife, Fanning was a fan of tattoos before he became a tattoo artist. I've done tattoos celebrating achievements and I've done tattoos that were mourning a loss, he said. Tattoos tell a story and are deeply personal for both the artist and the client. Which is why Fanning said his Siouxland's Choice first place finish is something he'll share with his fellow artists and their many clients. We've had clients who range in age from 18 to 90, he said. We enjoy sharing our art with Siouxland. We'll now move to Dear Abby. Dear Abby, I divorced my husband of 12 years. We were together for 16. We had a four-year-old at the time we separated. To avoid possible loss of the 401k or to have to pay him alimony, I did not ask him for child support. I knew he wasn't able to afford it at the time. He has since gotten a good job, but hasn't offered to financially support his daughter. My new fiancé has no respect for him because of this. I have to let it go to keep the peace so we can co-parent, and my now nine-year-old daughter won't be, have to see what is going on. This is becoming a problem of holidays because we've always celebrated with her together. She has grown to love that we do this for her. However, my fiancé doesn't want to be part of those special moments. He doesn't think my daughter would mind, and he doesn't want to risk losing his cool in front of her. This is putting a strain on our relationship. Is it wrong of me to want him to fake it so we can all get along? Or is he wrong to make other plans to avoid these situations? Signed, For Her Sake in Georgia. And Abby responds, Because your ex-husband employment circumstances have improved since the divorce, have a calm adult conversation with him. Many exes would not have been as understanding as you have been. Because he can now afford it, he should share in the cost of raising his daughter. If you can reach an agreement, have an attorney drop a document in writing. However, if he isn't willing to step up, contact a lawyer who specializes in family law to discuss what your next step should be. 
Also, with your new engagement, your personal circumstances have changed. Your fiancé should not be compelled to interact with your ex if it makes him uncomfortable. And that does it for today's reading of the Sioux City Journal for Thursday, February 23rd. I'm your reader, Dagna. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. And thank you for listening.